I'm Stephen Robbins, and I'm here today with Michael Bungay Stanier, the author of The Coaching Habit. Woohoo! Say less, ask more, and change the way you lead forever. Welcome, Although, Michael. ironically, we're going to be saying quite a lot because it's a podcast. So there we go. But thank you for having me on. And, it's, you know, it's, this book is still pretty new to the world, so I still get a thrill when people hold it up and show it to the world. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, except I can't actually have you autograph it through the screen. You know. <laughs> thank you, people. Thank you, Google Cardboard. It's not, yes. not quite virtual reality enough yet. Not yet. I guess not. So let's start with the question. This is about the coaching habit. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my listeners aren't coaches and right. aren't in the habit of coaching. And nor do they want to be coaches. Exactly. They want to be um, abstract, impressionistic <laughs> dance artists who reinterpret marks. And second example. only to that. Exactly. So, um, so this is a great place to start because if somebody's coming to this uh, conversation going, I don't know, coaching... You know, sure, it's fine for either those touchy-feely HR folk, or maybe for the kind of overpaid, harsh executive coaches. I'm not. I'm not either of those. So, how is this useful for me? Here's my take on it. I don't want you to be a coach either. I want you to be more coach-like, because that's really different from being a coach. Being more coach-like is saying, "Look, I'm a busy manager. I'm a busy individual contributor. I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm trying to get things done." How do I do it more effectively? How do I do it with more impact? How do I work less hard and have more impact? And coaching or asking some good questions, that's a really underutilized skill. So this book and this conversation is all about, let's give you some really practical tips that's an easy way of elevating your game. Excellent. Now, question, first of all, and it's ironic that this is a question that I'm about to ask, <laughs> um, why is it the questions are particularly useful? Why can't you just tell people what to do? Well, you know, honestly, it just doesn't work that well. <laughs> and that's the, that's the truth of it. I mean, think of all the advice that you have received today, right? And think about how much of it you're actually ignoring because it's not that good. And then think of the... <laughs> Wait a minute. Do people give bad advice? That explains a lot of why when I just do what people say, I don't know. All... Exactly. exactly. It's why neither of us are wearing trousers because we've been given advice. You don't have to wear trousers when doing a podcast. Um so the, the truth is advice just doesn't work that well. I mean, people don't really listen to it. People don't really act on it. And that's not just me saying that because I've got a, 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 an agenda. Neuroscience backs that up. I mean, here's the thing. You throw somebody in one of those scanners and you track their brain activity. When you ask, give somebody advice, you kind of tell them what to do. Not much changes in the electrical activity in their brain. But when you ask a good question, when you create that aha moment where people see the new possibilities, you can really see the neural pathways forming in people's brains. I mean, literally, you're increasing people's potential and capacity by asking a good question. Wait, asking, now, que asking questions causes physical changes in the brain? Exactly. Because, you know, you have that, you ask that question, you get that aha. Oh, I see it. I get it. I've, I've had the new insight. That new insight is a new neural pathway. Now, Steve, just to be clear, I'm not saying never give anybody advice ever again because there is a time and a place for that, for sure. You know, when somebody comes into your office and goes, where's the folder? You don't want to be asking them, you know, how are you feeling about the folder? That's not going to work. <laughs> right. But at, for most of us in our busy working lives, advice giving is a, is a default response that's overused. And asking questions, staying a bit curious for a bit longer is an underutilized leadership skill. 
Okay, so let's let's jump in then. I am a middle manager, maybe, or maybe even an individual contributor. When and where do I want to ask questions? And then, of course, we'll get into what questions do I want to ask. Well, I think the starting point for me would be to say every intervention you have with somebody, every interaction can probably be more coach-like, by which mean you just stay curious just a little bit longer. We're not trying to add an extra obligation to anybody's life. Everybody's busy enough. We're trying to transform the way they interact. So whether it's a casual bump into somebody in the corridor, on an email, quick conversation, a one-to-one, -one, a team meeting, all of them could do with a little infusion of a good question or two. And conveniently, in the book, we've got seven good questions that we say, these are the, these are the seven questions to really think about. And what might those be? Or <laughs> <laughs> which might be the most <laughs> important one? How might one kick these off? <laughs> well, okay, so um, you know, before we, we hit the record button, you and I were talking and you pointed to the first and the last question. And I love that. We call them the coaching bookend. So if you want to know how to start, start with the first question, the kickstart question. And it's simply this, what's on your mind? Now, here's why it works so well, Steve. You know, uh, so often we go into a conversation and we've got an agenda or we think we know what the topic is or we just go through the same thing we did last time. But what's on your mind does two things. The first is it says to the other person, tell me what you want to talk about. Tell me about the thing you're excited about or worried about or anxious about or overwhelmed about. Um, but you get to make the choice about what that is. So you're giving them autonomy. And if anybody's read the Dan Pink book around drive, you know, the, what makes people motivated is purpose, autonomy, and mastery. So you're giving them autonomy. You're giving them mastery. You're helping them point them towards purpose as well. But you're saying, don't talk to me about any old thing. Tell me the thing that matters. So you get into that conversation much faster. Got it. And this is assuming, of course, that the person knows what's what's on their mind i mean do they have to initiate the the meeting in order for that question to work or can i like can i just run up to somebody who's busily working on a report and say stop and they go what 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 and i go what's on your mind well that would probably freak them out a little bit so it's like you know i'm going to suggest whoever's listening in can probably figure out the context that that's going to work best but my guess is if you find yourself in conversation with somebody one of the great places to start is, hey, just let me show out of curiosity, you know, what's on your mind? And you can feel what an open invitation that is to get into an interesting conversation. I mean, Steve, a part of our belief is this. If you can't coach in 10 minutes or less, you don't have time to coach. So you've got to get to the heart of the issue really fast. And that's one of the ways of doing it. So what's on your mind tells us what's important to the person, what they're thinking about or worried about or hopeful about at yeah. the moment. Yeah. Um, where do we go with that? Yeah, well... Um, what you might go to next is the second question. And probably if you could only pick one question to take from this book, mm -hmm. I'm going to suggest it's this book. It's, uh, I, you know, I boldly call it because I've got a bit of a marketing streak to me, the best coaching question in the world, by which I mean the best question in the world. And it's a simple question. It's only got three words to it. And it actually spells the acronym A-W-E or OR. So it's like, you know, literally an awesome oh, question. Oh, exactly. I'm there. <laughs> and the, here's the question because everyone's, everyone's like okay so best coaching question in the world what is that and you're, you're leaning in I'm leaning in and the question is this and what else now <laughs> when I say that even though we're, you know, we're pre-recording this you can almost feel a palpable sense of anticlimax <laughs> rippling through the pod sphere is it like what that's it 
But I'll tell you why and what else is so useful. The first is this. The first answer somebody has to the question, whatever the question, is never their only answer and it's rarely their best answer. So what you're now doing is you're getting value for money from that opening question. What's on your mind? What else is on your mind? Okay, anything else on your mind? Okay, fantastic. You're getting into a juicier conversation by giving them more options. So that's the first step. The first answer is never their only answer, rarely their best answer. The second power of and what else is that it is a self-management tool for you. Because here's what the problem is with most managers and leaders and individual contributors. They are advice-giving maniacs. This is me giving advice, as I said, so I pick up the irony. Okay, <laughs> To, to they, someone who has an advice podcast, this yeah, is going to be featured on, yes. I know, exactly. Okay, but people love to give advice. We've been trained to do it all our lives. We think this is the way we add value. So, you know, somebody starts talking and 15 seconds into the conversation, you don't even know what's going on, but you're pretty sure you have the answer. You're just waiting for them to shut up so you can jump in and tell them what to do. And I am just trying to slow down the rush for the advice giving because it just happens a bit too fast. So one of the powers of it and what else is it's a self-management tool to stop you leaping in and start offering up advice. Because if you're asking a question, you're not giving a solution. So that's the other reason and the other way that you can really squeeze value out of AWE and what else. And are there other like and what else? <laughs> That's good. Oh man, it's like I'm getting jujitsu by my own questions. <laughs> you know, well, let me take you in this direction, which is because um, people ask me, so why is it so hard to actually ask a question? I mean, these are good questions, but why why don't we just do that more often? And certainly, the the easiest, fastest answer to that is it's just a habit. You know, we've spent our whole life being told have the answer. You know, that through school through university, through our early career. It's like, have the answer, that's success. Even a lot of managers say to people, don't bring me an issue unless you're bringing me the answer with it. Right, exactly. So there's certainly that, but here's the, here's the kind of the deeper twist as to why it's hard to ask a question. When you're giving advice, even though it's probably the wrong advice, even though probably they're not listening to it that well, they're certainly not gonna follow it. Mm-hmm. It feels pretty good to give advice because you're the smart person and you're the boss of the conversation and you're in control of the conversation and you're adding value and you have high status. So it feels pretty good place to stand, even though the outcome isn't that effective. When you ask a question, this is what empowerment feels like. You're giving them the power to shape the conversation. You're giving them the status to answer and figure out the solution. You're giving them control of the conversation. You're giving up power so you can empower them. And that feels noble, but it also feels awkward and a little ambiguous because you ask the question and then you're like, was that a good question? Are they going to answer it? Are they going to give me a sane answer or some crazy ass answer I don't know how to handle? Where's this going to go? So really, I think, Steve, this gets us into this concept of what servant leadership is, which is you willing to feel discomfort you're willing to put the other person first in the service of their growth, their potential, and their expansion, which is ultimately in your own service as well. So this is a really an enlightened self-interest play. <laughs> it totally is. It, I mean, here's, I mean, one of the things we talk about in our programs is you want to be a lazy coach. And everybody, when we first introduce this, they're like, what? I don't think you know who I am. I have worked extremely hard to get here. I'm not a lazy at all. But by the time we're done, they really see that the power of being lazy is you allow the other person to step up, 
to feel self-sufficient, to figure stuff out, to expand their own potential. And bonus, you get to work less hard. Who doesn't want that? So if I'm using this with a coworker, yeah. and I'm having a conversation about something that's going on, and I've decided I'm going to question, and I'm going to ask what's on your mind and, and what else, and yeah. so on. And let's say this, this actually leads them to some idea that otherwise I would have just told them. I would have just said, hey, here's the idea. Yeah. And instead I ask questions, and they come to the idea. Yeah. I don't get the credit. He said, pouting slightly. Yeah, I see that. You pout beautifully, by the way. Lots of practice. <laughs> Lots of practice. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So so here's the secret of how I do it. Okay, so um, first of all, you celebrate the fact that they came to it, and you will get the credit. You'll get the reputation for being a useful, generous, practical manager or leader or peer, whatever it might be. But I've got a little twist on it that can kind of get you a little bit of credit as well. So... And it's a habit that I built up. So when somebody like Steve comes to me and goes, Michael, how do I do the, yeah. And of course, that triggers in me the advice-giving monster. It's, I desperately want to tell you how to do it. But because I've listened to this excellent podcast, I'm going to resist that. And I go, okay, so Steve, good question. And I've got some ideas that I'll, I'll tell you about. But before I tell you them, what ideas do you already have? And I promise you they will have ideas. And whatever they say, I'm going to nod my head and I'm going to look interested. And then after he tells me his first idea, I go, great, that's, I like it, Steve. But what else could you do? What else? What, what else? What other idea do you have here? Okay, good, good, good. Great, this is lovely. Anything else here? This is fantastic. And I nod my head. And I'm getting him to do the work. I'm getting him to have the ideas. My job is to facilitate that. But, you know, I've got a really good idea of my own and I'm desperate to tell it. So at the, when Steve runs out of ideas, I go, I love all this. And here's the one thing I would add. And then I'd add my little bit of value at the end. So I still have that opportunity to add value and, in brackets, prove that I'm the smartest person in the room, for sure. But allowing them to do all that work first helps you, helps them. So you get to work less by making them work more. Exactly. Ah, <laughs> all right. I, I like this. <laughs> exactly. Um, where do we go from and what else? Well, there's a bunch of places you can go. I mean, we've got the seven questions in the book, but they're not meant to be a script. They're not meant to be you follow them one after the other. But I'll go to one of the questions. I, th I mean, honestly, I love them all because they're like my seven children if I had children. You know. But let me share this one. It's the focus question. I'm not really even going to ask who the Snow White is in the story. <laughs> that's right. The real person to ask about is the evil, the evil queen, right? But that's, that's a diversion. Come back, Michael. <laughs> yes. All right. So here's the question I want to share with you, the focus question, because my belief is this. In most organizations, people are working really hard to get things done and solving the wrong problems because they've mistaken the first challenge to be the real challenge, and it rarely is. So let me tell you the, the focus question. It's this. What's the real challenge here for you? Now That has a lot of pieces to it, actually. Yeah. So let's build on those pieces. So, you know, you could frame it just like this, what's the challenge? Right. And as you hear that, you can hear that you're probably going to get a kind of generic, high-level, slightly abstract, maybe multiple answer to that. If you build on that and you go, what's the real challenge? Suddenly you're going to have to work harder to answer that because it's not what's the overall challenge, like, what's the real challenge? I'm going to have to sit down and think, oh, here's the different challenges that are part of this. This yeah. one's the, so, I, so right there it gets me filtering and comparing the challenges against each right. other. So you're helping to connect back to Dan Pink stuff. You're helping to drive mastery here because you're making people prioritize and figure out what the real challenge is. 
But then you add those last two words. What's the real challenge here for you? And this is a really powerful moment because here's when the spotlight swings away from the challenge, the thing that needs to be done, to the person who's dealing with the thing. And that's when it becomes much more powerful and much more personal. And there's a kind of greater learning hit here because now they're learning about themselves and how they're struggling with the situation rather than just about the general situation at hand. So that question, what's the real challenge here for you? And then and what else? What else is a challenge here for you? And what else is a challenge here for you? Okay, so Steve, out of all of that, what's the real challenge here for you? And you can just feel how that's a deepening conversation to get to something important. Sure. Even as you said that, I thought, what's the challenge? Today, I've been working on getting something working on my website, right? Something right. that should be really small. Right. Uh, you know, what's the challenge here for me? Getting this stupid pop-up box to work. What's right. the real challenge here? Well, the real challenge is a marketing challenge. But what's the real challenge here for me? Yeah. I don't have time to be doing this crap. I need to outsource this, <laughs> which okay. which has nothing to do with the actual proximate thing that I'm working on, which is how yeah. do I embed this code in a website? So, and then if you want to push that further, and I'm just making this up, but you go, so what's the real challenge? I'm trying to do everything in my business when I need to outsource it. Or I'm trying to control things that I need to let go and hand over to somebody else. Or I need to be more ambitious about how I think about marketing and I need to invest in this. And what started off as a pop-up box has now become a, how do I step up my marketing efforts to have the impact I should have because I'm Steve, right? So Minions, I need minions. <laughs> we all That's need minions, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I just someday when I'm raising my, my minion army, I'll say, Michael told me to. It wasn't my idea. It was we I'm, I'm hoping I'll be your number two. That's my plan. Absolutely. I have a stuffed teddy bear around here somewhere who, who, who we can use as our mascot. Um, I, so I like the what's the real challenge here for yeah. you. That actually does that, that. Do you have any other any other questions that have like these unexpected twists in them? Because it sounds like a very simple question, yeah. but yet it clearly is not. It's. Well, let me talk to the, the question that I think is a really powerful another self-management question. It's number four in the book. It's called the foundation question. And it's simply, what do you want? And uh, sounds easy to answer, but actually I almost call this the goldfish question because when you ask it, you sometimes get people doing goldfish faces. You know, their eyes pop open and they make that kind of guppy thing with their mouth as they go, what, what do I want? Because so often we're rushing around without a clear idea of what we want, what we're, what we're striving for. And the reason I bring it up is because for the folks listening in, if they've got a situation at work or in life where they've kind of been pushed off the track, so they're feeling a bit frustrated or angry or sad or upset or something like that, you know, you're, you're rubbing up the wrong way with a person. One of the most powerful things you can do to kind of ground yourself is ask yourself, what do I want here? What do I really want? And you're going to find that getting that clarity will allow you to see the situation a little bit differently. And if you're feeling generous, you know, you can ask yourself, what do I think they really want here? If you're, I mean, if you're feeling courageous, ask them, what do you want here? And by getting that, that shared perspective, what do you want? Here's what I want. It's a chance to kind of ground and kind of reinitiate that conversation that might have just got a bit messy somehow. Why? Why are you asking what do I want instead of or what do you want instead of asking something like what is your goal? That seems like it seems like uh -huh. uh, I, I mean I want to say it's a similar question. My instinct 
in a work context almost always say, you know, so what are you really trying to achieve here? But that's not the same as what do you want? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, I haven't been asked that question before, so I'm thinking about it. Uh, here's how the questions land differently for me. What's your goal? Makes it an external thing. This is the thing I'm striving for. What do I want feels more about me and what, what am I really, what really matters to me? So it feels as, almost the same as what's the real challenge and what's the real challenge here for you? You know, somehow what you want has for you built into the way the question works. So it just lands at a more personal, powerful uh, level. That's, that's, how I, that's how I read it. Does that ring true for you? It does. And it makes me realize this is a very subversive question because right. our corporate overlords may <laughs> want us asking what's the goal here? Right. Not, what do you want? Right. Exactly. I mean, so one of my heroes in this whole space is a is a thinker, a writer called Peter Block. Oh, I uh, love Peter Block. I love Peter Block too. You know, he wrote a blurb for the very first book I I wrote, and it was one of the highlights of my professional career. And um, I heard Peter once say that uh, his work is in its heart trying to give uh, create adult to adult relationships in our workplaces, which is interesting, but. You can almost ask, well, okay, that's good, but what actually is an adult-to-adult -adult relationship? And the best definition, or at least the snappiest definition I've heard is an adult-to-adult -adult, uh, working relationship is when you can ask for what you want, knowing that the answer may be no. And so for me, that's where all this kind of connects, which is like Peter Block, adult relationships. So how do we have that conversation that's about asking for what we want? And and this is actually this is actually the how, what do you this is the asking for what you want conversation but reversed because I am giving you the space to ask for what you want by asking you what do you want right so I so secretly then I am giving you an opening that will make you feel good and allow you maybe to ask something that you wouldn't ask on your own because right. normally you you'd be like oh I shouldn't be asking for what I want yeah just... I think that's right and I think if you if you're generous enough to ask that question part of what you then need to do is sit with the silence a bit because I can promise you that at least some of the time when you ask what you want, there's not going to be a fast and easy answer. They're going to be trying to figure that out. You know, if you ask what do we really want here um, and you have to hold the space for them to pursue the inquiry. So you'll go, even though inside you're like, why is this taking so long? Was this a good question? Have I screwed this up? What's going on here? The, the thing to do is hold the space, allow them to figure it out. And actually, when they come with the answer, hopefully it'll be something that lands. Do you have any tips for how to do that? That whole that whole be silent while they're taking way too long to answer thing. Well, the way I think about it is twofold, which is the first one is everybody feels the silence. Everybody feels the awkwardness. So knowing that they will crack first. So just you know, <laughs> like I, I've just practiced waiting longer than you, and honestly, after about a second and a half. It starts feeling awkward. So you just wait and they will crack first. But the second thing was influenced from reading Susan Cain's book, Quiet, which really brought a spotlight on uh, introverts in, in the world and how they need different things from extroverts. And, you know, one of the ways of thinking about what an, ext an introvert needs is they need a bit of time to figure out what their answer is. Because I'm, I'm kind of extroverty, as you probably guessed. And here's what happens. You ask me a question and I go, Steve, there are three things, three answers to that question. 
And I have no idea what those three things are, but I'm about to find out by talking about them. <laughs> I'm like, this should be interesting. Let's see where this goes. Right? <laughs> yes. An introvert's more likely to go, oh, yeah. okay, there are three things to answer, and they actually have the answer in their head. So one of the things that has made it easier for me to sit with silence is this may be giving the person the respect and the time they need to figure out the answer to this. And the nice thing is if they're an extrovert, it won't be giving them the space and time they need, but it will be do, what it will be doing is driving them absolutely crazy so right. that they'll be at a psychological disadvantage when you want to give them advice next. Nice. I, like, I like your subtle power plays. You're, uh... Well, I'm an introvert, so I'm always the one who's getting trampled on by the extroverts. Any, right. any power move I can find. That's good. That's good for people to hear, which is, you know, the introverts feel trampled by the extroverts. So have the courtesy to give somebody a space to speak up. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> excuse me. And if you don't do that, once upon a time, I was a manager. I had three people on my team. And when it was the time to do performance reviews, I did one of these things where I did a 360 where I had everyone talk about the contributions everyone had made. Yeah. <clears throat> Prior to doing the 360, I thought that person A and person B were the main contributors and that person C just never did very much. Right. What I found out was person C was an introvert who was raised to believe it was not polite to talk about himself. Uh -huh. So he never highlighted anything he did. In fact, he was the person that A and B relied on to make everything work. <laughs> right. It's like Keystone that was holding it all together. Exactly. So you can't you can't assume that the amount of in your the amount of volume or the amount of energy that someone has or that they bring to something necessarily indicates that well, there are people who do not have that energy that they're bringing to things. There may be some real hidden gold there. For sure. So what's the other bookend? We started with the bookend question. Uh, yeah. What's on your mind? Yeah. So one of the roles I think people have as manager, as leader, even as individual contributor, is to help people learn. You know, there's a thousand definitions of what coaching is, but one of them is helping people learn rather than teaching them. But to do that, you have to know how people actually learn. And back to this advice giving piece, people don't learn when you tell them what to do. I mean, they just don't. It just flows in one here and flows out the other. They don't even really learn when they do something. They learn when they have a moment to reflect on what just happened to figure out, oh, that's what just happened. And that's the, the new connection in the brain. So it's about learning how to ask a good question to provoke that moment of reflection. So the question I like, the one that's in the book is, what was most useful here for you? But a variation I use all the time is what was most valuable here? So, you know, sometimes I'll combine them. What was most useful or most valuable here for you? What was most useful or valuable about this podcast interview with Steve and Michael? You know, what's the one or two things that you're really taking away from here? And you can see that the people who are watching this and really enjoying the conversation, when we ask them what's the one or two most valuable things, that's when they're forced to go in. That's when they're forced to use their working memory to extract what, what they want to remember. That's where the, the synapse connections are going to be made. That's where the learning happens. Have you read the book Make It Stick? I have. I love that book. Okay. The, yeah, the one with the, one with the blue color. No, right. not, not the one by the Heaths. Oh, so there's, no, there's, I haven't read this. Ah, there's one that's made to stick by ah. the Heath brothers. And that's all yes. about how to craft a story that's really memorable. Yes. Then there's also one called Make It Stick, which has a blue cover and is about really 
what is all the stuff we've learned about learning theory and about how the brain works and how the brain learns things? I do have that book. Yeah, fantastic. I remember picking it. I was wandering through Boston and I came across it. Yeah, really great book. Kind of combination of psychology and neuroscience and kind of the latest education theory. Yeah, yeah. excellent. And one of the things they talk about is the importance of asking questions. Right. Because questions get people thinking. You know, listeners, what's the last question someone has asked you that's gotten you <laughs> thinking? Nice. What is it that you might be taking away from our discussion today? Right. <clears throat> um, so, Michael, what would you take away if you were if you were one of our listeners? What is the thing that you would take away that would be the most like impactful and awesome for your life? Well, I think the key thing for me would be that Steve is building an army of minions, and he has a dark, twisted heart. And you either got to choose to be with him or against him. And now's probably the time to make that choice. So. You can't sit on the fence. You've got to go one way or the other. Are you with him or are you against him? Sign up or run away. Well, you know, very insightful of you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, and we do, our time is actually coming to, a, coming to a close. Is there anything that you want to add? How can people reach you? Where can they reach you? Do you want them to reach you? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I love hearing from folks. So let me tell you, they, if they're interested in the book, there's a website called thecoachinghabit.com. Um, thank you, Steve. I appreciate that. Um, I think there are some freebies and stuff there, lots of video resources and stuff for sure. Um, if you if you end up buying a copy of the book, I have a big favor to ask of you, which is this. I have this ridiculously ambitious goal to get a thousand reviews on Amazon at the, at the one year birthday of the book, which is the 1st of March. So if you read the book and you're so inclined, a review on Amazon would be fantastic. Um, my company, Box of Crayons, our website's boxofcrayons.biz, B-I-Z or B-I-Z, depending on where you are in the world. And if you want social media, I'm on LinkedIn or on Twitter as at Box of Crayons. At Box of Crayons. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And um, I want to say don't go running with crayons, but I guess running with crayons <laughs> is perfectly fine. Um, it's okay. Steve, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for the fun, Dad. Bye.